Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. All right, Matthew chapter 16. Let's move on with that. Now that I have your attention, glory to God. Uh, we began last week kind of introducing this uh I guess, series or or series of messages that I'm going to kind of take some time to expound upon over the next several weeks. We're talking about basically the mission of the church, the mission of the church. If we're going to understand what God is doing in these last days, we have to understand this, that he's not doing it apart from his church. God is not going to do what he's doing in these last days, that the church is literally the vehicle by which God is expanding his kingdom and bringing heaven to earth. And the last day work and the last day uh, revival, last day move, whatever you want to call it, whatever you want to title it, is going to hinge on the ability and the availability of his church to respond in these last days. And so you and I are going to have to understand some things about Uh, the operation of his church. And we see this in Matthew chapter 16 when Jesus introduces us to this concept, church. He says this in verse 17. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter. And on this rock, he says this, I will build my church. Everyone say, my church. Let's try that again. Everyone say, my church. Now, everyone say, his church. Okay, so when we're saying my church, a lot of times we like to take ownership of that my church. Anchor Faith Church is my church, or so-and-so is my church. Where do you attend church? Oh, let me. you should come to my church. But what we really need to understand is Jesus has one church. Or I could word it this way. There is one church. And that church belongs to Jesus, okay? That church belongs to Jesus. And so our uh, uh, design, our mission, our assignment, uh, whatever we do within the confines of this church, it has to align with his order. It has to align with his purpose. It has to align with his design. We don't get the right to redefine what his church looks like. And he said, I will build my church, meaning that he's taken on personal ownership and personal, uh, 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 the personal assignment of building his church. You and I get to come in and participate with what he's doing, but we don't get to come in and redefine um, or reinterpret or pick and choose what parts we like and what parts we don't. You know, there's people doing this in our country right now, right? There's people that are are, are so, um, you know, disrupted and, um, you know, so uh, just frustrated with how America operates, that they want us to be a different country. Well, you know what? If you don't like it, go find the country that you like. Do I have anybody in the room that agrees with me? 
You have the freedom to leave just as much as you have the, the free. And so, you know, don't stay here and try to redefine and twist everything to align with how you like it. Can, can you imagine what a country would look like, what a nation would look like, what a business would look like if everybody got to get what they wanted done, accomplished in it? It would ultimately compromise the original intent and the original design by which it was created. It sounds like to me that you just, you're not happy here, so go find there. Go find the place that you'll be happy. And you'll probably find out that you, you will be less satisfied than you think you will. Well, it's the same thing in the church. And I'm not talking, I'm not even just talking, you know, each local church. Obviously, there are, there are many different makeups. You know what's interesting to me about the church is how little is mentioned of it in scripture. It's, it's actually interesting to me. We have actually uh, no rule book or handbook on how to plant one. We have, we have uh, you know, Jesus gives us, in fact, uh, this verse that I'm reading you, Matthew chapter 16, is the first time Jesus mentions the church. 16 chapters into the gospels, into the, the New Testament. And it's only one of two references he ever makes to the church. As important as the church is and as, and as important as, uh, you know, we know that the local church is today, there's very little mention of it. There's very little instruction given or so it looks like. But Jesus was actually more interested in the mission of the church than the method of the church. And so what we do, what we like to do is we like to break things down to methods. We like to break things down to patterns and examples. We, we like to um, break it down to a formula. If I do this, this, and this, then I'll accomplish this. And that wasn't God's heart. That wasn't Jesus's heart. He said, there is so much uniqueness and there's so much individuality and there's so much that, that if I broke it down to every church needs to look just like this, well, he didn't do that with you and I. You and I, we all have the same purpose on this planet, but we will all carry out that purpose in different ways with different functions, with different skills, with different abilities. And could you imagine what it would look like if we all literally were just copycats of each other? We're all made in the image of God, but the design and the giftings and the skills that he's placed in you to accomplish the assignment, they all differ. And we need the diversity. The diversity needs unity. And unity needs diversity. And so it's the same with the church. We're not all going to have the same look and the same feel and the same style and, and, and the same. Uh, but at the end of the day, we all have the same purpose. And it's declared right here. It's declared on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail. It actually says the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Who's you? He's now talking to the church. He's not talking to Peter anymore. He's talking about this church. I will build my church and to the church, I will give the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will have been bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loose. Or the actual translation, the correct translation is will have been loosed in heaven. 
So we said this last week that the church is literally the vehicle by which heaven invades the earth. Jesus ministered on something very repetitively, very consistently, very intentionally, and it's called the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God was not meant to be a theme that we hit on every now and then. The the, the kingdom of God was meant to be the very core and the very center of everything that we accomplish in God. It's about his kingdom. It's about a king. It's about his kingdom. And then you and I, the royal offspring of that king, that now we, you and I are the greatness and you and I are the royalty that are part of bringing God's kingdom to the earth. Okay? So we have to keep everything in the context of kingdom. We have to keep everything in the context of ruling and reigning. We have to keep everything in the context of he's a king, there's a kingdom, and you and I live in this kingdom as royalty with an assignment to continue what Jesus started. Jesus did not come to the earth to show us what he could do. Jesus came to the earth to show us what we could do. I'll say that again. Jesus did not come to the earth to show us what he could do. It wasn't show and tell. It was show and go. He came to show us what you and I are capable of doing. Why? Because Jesus was a man submitted to the Father, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Now, if Jesus did what he did on this earth as God, you and I are mere standbyers, uh, standbys. You and I are merely, uh, we, we must resort to uh, speculating and spectating and just watching from the sidelines. But he didn't do it that way. Jesus did, he, did what he did as a man, submitted to the Father, empowered by the Spirit. So guess what? You too can be a man or a woman submitted to the Father, empowered by the Spirit. Therefore, you can accomplish the very things he said, which, of course, in John 14, 12, he says what? If you believe these things that I do and even greater works shall you do because I go to the Father. Okay? So we got to understand, again, we, 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 we say these statements a lot. The church is not a building. The church is not an event. The church is a people. But when we say that, we also have to, if you're going to make a statement like that, then you also have to own the responsibility of that statement. You have to own the capacity that that statement holds that says, okay, if, if, if I am in the earth as him, if I'm operating in this earth as Jesus, what, what did he say? As I am, so are you in the world. If, if I'm going to take that ownership and I'm going to recognize, okay, this is about a people, not just an organization, then I have to recognize that, I now no longer get to uh, assume that I'm doing church or being church because I attend somewhere regularly on a Sunday. So really what you've done is you've actually not lowered the bar, you've raised the bar. If it's not just an organization and it's not just an event, then what we're doing right now, Sunday morning, 10.30 a.m., you know, on a weekly basis, Wednesday night, midweek, 7 p.m., on a weekly basis... That you got to recognize that that is actually just the starting point. That that is actually the lowest form of discipleship in Christianity. That that merely sets the groundwork and the foundation upon which we now build and take this out there. 
So we got to understand the essence of the church. We got to understand its power. We got to understand the capacity and the responsibility that now falls upon you and I, the shoulders, the body of Christ, so that we can accomplish what Jesus said we would accomplish, the binding, the loosing, the holding and using of keys to access heaven, unlock it and bring it in to this realm, to no longer just live here as mere bystanders and, and, and spectators, but now active participators and demonstrators of heaven. You see how the bar is raised now. You see how this increases our value. This increases our purpose. This increases our worth. This increases what you and I were assigned to do. In the Passion Translation, it reads this way. I give you the name Peter, a stone, and this rock will be the bedrock foundation on which I will build my church, my legislative assembly. Again, when we bring this back into the context of the kingdom of God, we are literally an embassy that is an extension of heaven and a representation of heaven. You got to understand this. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, verse 20, verse 21, somewhere in there, uh, Paul makes this statement, we are ambassadors for Christ. Embassies house ambassadors. And an embassy is to be a reflection and extension of the homeland. Okay, right now, just talking, this isn't even religious talk. This is, this is literal government talk. We have embassies. We have United States embassies. I got to travel to, um, I've been to two nations uh, uh, in, in the world. It might not sound like a lot, but the two nations I've been privileged to go to, uh, Kenya and Nicaragua. And in both nations, I got to see the United States embassy. And I can tell you right now, the United States embassy looks way different than what surrounds it. All of a sudden, the grass is green. All of a sudden, things look a little cleaner. All of a sudden, there's just a different look to it than even the environment it has been placed in. And that's how distinguishable you and I should be. In the world, but not of it. That embassy is in Kenya, but not of Kenya. It's not limited to the resources of Kenya. It's not limited by the limitations and restrictions of Kenya. It has the entire government of the United States of America backing it. And anything those ambassadors need, it comes from the home country. It doesn't come from the country they've been planted in. You and I are not limited by the restrictions of this world because we have an entire nation, an entire kingdom of God. Heaven's resources themselves back you and go wherever you go. But that embassy and those ambassadors also have the responsibility of being a reflection of the home country and not conforming to what's around them, which is what Romans chapter 12 tells us, right? Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And each of those ambassadors has to have mind renewal to recognize that what I'm around and what I'm surrounded by is not what I'm limited to. I get to live on a whole nother level because I belong to a different country. I belong to a different nation. So you operate differently. You behave differently. You talk differently. Okay? 
and they recognize I am here in the midst of this territory to bring my nation to this place, not to be changed by the nation that I'm in. Does that make sense? So he says, this is my legislative assembly and the power of death will not be able to overpower it. I will give you the keys of heaven's kingdom realm to forbid on earth that which is forbidden in heaven and to release on earth that which is released in heaven. We understand this, that the purpose, uh, let's word it this way. The power of the church is tied to the purpose of the church. The power of the church is tied to the purpose. Our effectiveness is not in how well we can reinvent the church. It's how well we can stay attached to the original intent of the church. And so this is where, you know, some churches have allowed uh, maybe different practices or different elements um, of their worship. Uh, you know, when we talk about methods, yeah, they can be different. They can be distinct. They can be unique. But at the end of the day, it's not going to accomplish the purpose of what God has called the church to do unless those methods align with the purpose. It has to start with the purpose. Does that make sense? It has to start with the purpose. Uh, there was a purpose that this was designed for. This cell phone was designed for a purpose. And what has happened is the, in the church, the product has reinvented the purpose instead of the manufacturer reinventing the purpose. The only one that gets to reinvent the purpose of the phone is the one that created it. It started with them, it ends with them. And this phone doesn't get to decide, you know what, I'm tired of being a phone. I want to be a paperweight. Come on. It, it, and the only way, see, this microphone has a purpose, and this podium has a purpose. And my microphone doesn't make a good podium. But this podium doesn't make a good microphone. Yeah? I know it sounds silly, but we've got people doing this every day. They look at somebody else and say, I want their purpose, and you weren't designed to fulfill that purpose. And that's why it's, that's why it's frustrating you. That's why it's wearing you down. That's why you, you continually live unsatisfied. That's why you go from one job to the next job, one relationship to the next relationship, one location to the next location, one church to the next church. is because you don't know the purpose of it. The purpose holds the power. And the product doesn't get to redefine the purpose. The manufacturer does. Well, Jesus said, I will build my church. Guess what? He's the manufacturer of the church, which means he instilled the purpose in it. And the only way the church will be effective and productive in the earth is if we follow his plan. I was watching a documentary last night. I'm not going to name it because I don't back everything in it. I don't support everything in it. But it's, it's a documentary on the church. I'll just try to keep this as general as possible because you'll probably find it out yourselves anyways. And again, I, I'm not backing anything that was in it. You, you cannot say, well, Pastor Mark, you know, backed this and supported this. I'm not saying that at all. There's a lot of messed up stuff in it. 
but it's about a, 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 a church, a large church, a very specific church. And one of the former leaders of that church made this statement. He said, where we went wrong is we went from making disciples to making converts. And then we went from making converts to making consumers. But that was a really interesting statement. He was speaking about the, his church and he was saying that the focus became to fill as many seats as possible. And it wasn't about growing people anymore. In fact, there was never mentions of sin. We, we did everything to reinforce your welcome here. You can come as you are. You belong here. We love you. God sees you. We, we had an overwhelming emphasis, which those items are great, but they need balance. And he said, we were overwhelmingly emphasizing how much God accepts them, but we weren't giving any value or attention to the brokenness, to the hurt, to the pain. And so they ended up, you know, with, with, with full seats, but empty lives. That is a reinvention of the purpose. That is a reinvention of the purpose for which the church was created. And so we, we get out of mission, we get out of alignment, we get out of what was the church designed and called to do. And Jesus knows what he's doing. This is Jesus's church. So today I want to give you three things that Jesus's church is. Three things that Jesus's church, there's only one church. Jesus's church. Number one, Jesus's church is authorized. Jesus's church is authorized. This has to do with authority. Authorized. Jesus's church is authorized. Number one, Jesus's church is authorized. In Matthew chapter 16 and verse 19, we just read it. I'm going to give it to you in the Amplified. It reads it this way. I will give you the keys or authority of the kingdom of heaven. It's literally how it's translated in the Amplified. I will give you the keys, authority. The first time he mentions the church, 16 chapters in, let's put it on a timeline, on a, on a physical, chronological timeline. This statement, this conversation with Peter and his disciples in this passage takes place six months before he goes to the cross. So three years of his ministry, 33 years of his life have gone by. And this is the first time we have record of mention of the church, the ecclesia. And the very first time he mentions his church, he aligns it with authority. He aligns it with authority. He says, I will give you the keys, authority, of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind, forbid, declare to be improper and unlawful on earth will have already been bound in heaven. And whatever you loose, permit, declare lawful on earth as it is in heaven. We recognize that the church in our role as Jesus designed it, 
This is not my personal interpretation. We're going back to the manufacturer. I will build my church. Guess what I'm going to give you? Authority. Authority on earth. Now, you know, right now in our society and in the time that we live in, the church, I would say in general, has more of a rejection to this authority than acceptance of this authority. When we talk about authority in the church, I remember I, I, I told, or um, I, I had a conversation once, it was recently, maybe within the last year or so, I can't remember exactly when. And someone uh, that had just started coming, you know, knew, been in church a long time, but had just started coming to Anchor Faith Church, made this particular statement. I haven't heard so much about authority and power and binding and loosing than in the last four or five services that I've been with you at Anchor Faith Church in my entire Christian life. But yet that's one of the very first thing Jesus mentions when he speaks of his church is literally the authorizing of a group of people to carry heaven's will and heaven's purpose into this realm. Authority is is probably the most important aspect of the church today, but yet we don't talk about it. And when we do, uh, we, 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 re, we resist authority and we claim humility. But we got to be humble, brother. There's plenty of that in the church. I can speak on humility. I, I, I can tell you you're a lowly sinner, just merely saved by grace, you know, barely making it into heaven by the skin of your teeth, and people will resonate with that. But then when I talk about, man, you're in charge. You rule. You reign. You're seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven. When I bring those things up, on the inside, people are like, whoa, what, what's going on here? Getting, getting, a little, getting a little prideful there, aren't you, pastor? No, no, no. I'm just aligning myself with what Scripture says. It's actually more prideful to say I can't do what he says I can do than to just walk in what he says I can do. It's actually more prideful to say, God, I know you gave us all that authority and all that power to operate on this earth, but, you know, I, I, that's, not, that, that's not me, God. You, I mean, you know, I, there's no way I could do that. That's not humility. That's actually pride. That's actually more prideful. Because now you're telling the manufacturer, come on, now you're telling the manufacturer, no, he, that's the very first thing he says. I will build my church. I will give the keys authority of the kingdom of heaven. And then he starts talking about forbidding, declare to be improper and unlawful and loosing permitting, allowing, declaring to be lawful. And that rides on you and I. I've made this statement a million times. I'll say it again. Nothing should happen in the earth without the church's permission. Nothing should happen in the earth. The power to calm storms the power to tread on serpents, the power to lay hands on the sick and see them recover, the power to declare resources and wealth, the power to operate with heaven support. Remember, I'm an embassy. I'm an ambassador in an embassy with the nation of heaven backing me. Why am I living restricted by the resources of the world? 
No, it shouldn't be this way. Shouldn't be this way. But we don't have enough authority teaching. Let me give you some more references. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. Read this one in the Amplified. Jesus came up and said to them, all authority, all power of absolute rule. Now, authority and power are two sides of the same coin. You can't have one without the other. You got to understand authority and you got to understand power. Power is the ability, but authority is the capacity. Power is the ability, but authority is the capacity. I'll show you a, a quick demonstration. You know, if, if you're at a, a, a four-way stoplight or you're, you're at an intersection and the, the lights go out, uh, hopefully at some point, uh, you know, they're either flashing red or they're just not working at all. Hopefully at some point a cop will show up. And a cop does this number. And then he waves the others on, right? Does he have the power, ability to stop that vehicle? No, but he has the authority, capacity to stop the vehicle. And that's what authority is. Authority is the capacity to use the power, the ability. A police officer carrying a weapon, uh, uh, holding a weapon, he doesn't have the power to, uh, uh, you know, stop an assailant, but the gun does, that's the power, but he's authorized to use the power. Now, see, the devil has power, but he doesn't have authority. And when you use power without authority, it's called illegal. So you want both. We are a church that is authorized and has the power, the ability, and the capacity to operate just as Jesus did. And in essence, we're bringing heaven to earth. All authority, all power of absolute rule in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Well, Pastor Martha says it's been given to Jesus. Okay, fine, I'll give you one more. Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. All power of absolute rule is given to Jesus, right? Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22. And he has put all things under his feet and has appointed him, that's Jesus, the universal and supreme head of the church, a headship exercised throughout the church. Y'all reading that? Verse 23, which is his body? The fullness of him who fills all in all. For in that body lives the full measure of him who makes everything complete and who fills everything everywhere with himself. What's this mean? That means whatever Jesus has, the church has. I said whatever Jesus has, his church has. I've been alive, I'll be, uh, in two months, I've been on this planet for 39 years, and in 39 years, my head and my body have never been in two different places. Never. Come on. The only way you have a head in one place and a body in the other is if they're decapitated. 
So the only way that a church does not have the authority that Jesus has is if it is a decapitated church. Cut off from the head and therefore not operating according. Now, you can still be attached and have a body that is inactive or doesn't want to do what the head wants to do. But to be an active participant in the body of Christ as the church of the living God, guess what? We do what the head wants to do. We are one. And so if the power belongs to the head, then the power belongs to the body. In fact, the head cannot get anything accomplished unless the body does its part. You can be hungry all you want, thirsty all you want, uh, uh, you know, get up and go to the bathroom all you want, but unless your body aligns itself and does what the head is desiring and wants to do, guess what? You ain't getting food, you ain't getting drink, and you ain't using the restroom, at least not in a restroom. <laughs> Come on. But yet we, we have decapitated churches on this planet. No, if the head operates in it, the body operates in it. If Jesus has been authorized, you have been authorized. And that's why he said, these works that I do, you will do. Jesus didn't stop working when he left this planet. In fact, I can put it to you this way. Jesus never left the planet. He's still in the planet in the form of his body, you and I, the church. You go into the next chapter, Ephesians chapter 2, and he goes on to say that we've been raised up together. We've been seated together, and we rule and we reign together. Together means together. I mean, the last time I checked, if you're together, you're together. I don't know how to break that down any simpler. We're together with him. So number one, Jesus' church is authorized. You know, this is the thing. And, and this is, you know, maybe I needed to lay this groundwork. But religion cuts us off from a lot of this. The kingdom is God's attempt to get to man. Religion is man's attempt to get to God. And religion is so deceptive in nature because at its core, it has the same pursuit as the kingdom. It just doesn't attain to the same methods as the kingdom. I mean, every single one of those Pharisees and Sadducees that put Jesus on that cross thought they were achieving and accomplishing the will of God. But because their hearts were so darkened and because their eyes were so blinded, they couldn't see that the kingdom was standing right in front of them. And that's why this kingdom is so important, because without the kingdom, we're, we're going to be stuck in religious activity that actually moves us further away from God's attempt and plan than closer to it. So we have to let go of religious thinking, religious ideologies. If you're going to understand the true purpose of the church. All right, number one, Jesus' church is authorized. Number two, Jesus' church is alive. Alive. This is a living, active organism. 
This is not an organization. This is an organism. This is a living, breathing element and entity that God has placed in the earth. I would put it to you like this. A lot of churches have ended up in what I would call standby mode. At the at, at best, they're existing, but they're not. They they are not uh, increasing or transforming anything around them. And a state of idleness or a state of being in standby, a state of merely just existing was not what God called you and I to be. God called the church, you and I, the body of Christ, to literally be agents of change in this world. Agents of change. Agents of change. That everything we touch... Number one, knows we have been in that place. And number two, transforms what's around us. That takes a lot of different factors and a lot of moving parts. And we're going to try to break these down over the next several weeks and try to dive into these things. But we got to understand that everything we come into contact with is supposed to be changed and transformed by the power of God that resides within us. We are actually agents of change. Jesus said it this way in Matthew chapter 13, verse 33. And I'm going to read it to you in the New Living. Jesus also used this illustration. The kingdom of heaven is like the yeast a woman used in making bread. Even though she put only a little yeast in three measures of flour, it, it permeated every part of the dough. I love that translation. It permeated every part of the dough. It infiltrated and it's, it made its way and it made its influence into every part. Look, I, I'm, there are there are kingdoms of darkness and spheres of wickedness that are using this principle in the world today. Homosexuality is using this principle today. Wickedness and immorality is using this principle today. They are infiltrating. And I mean, they're making their way into every industry. They're making their way into government. They're making their way into sports and entertainment. Come on. They're making their way into education. They're making their way into the economy. You know, I just, I want to throw this out there. The church is the most powerful entity on the planet. But like I said, power lies in purpose. And if we're not aligning and operating according to the purpose by which we were created from the manufacturer, then our power lies dormant. But the devil understands these principles. He understands how to infiltrate. He understands how to make influence. I mean, it's getting to a point. You, you can pick them out on the street, on the road, in a restaurant, in a hotel, at a sporting event. You can pick them out. 
I wonder, can they pick us out? I wonder if we could live that distinct and that intentional with our influence that they recognize there's something different about you. Part of that is the darker it gets, the brighter we shine. You know, he uses leaven in this example. In Matthew chapter 5 and verse 13, he uses a different example. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 13, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, look at this, its strength, its quality, how can its saltness be restored? It's not good for anything any longer but to be thrown out and trodden underfoot by men. Salt does two things. It enhances flavor and it preserves. It enhances flavor and it preserves. Now, anybody here like salt? Anybody here big, big fans of salt? Like, you know, you, you got salt thrown on everything. When you take that salt and you pour it out of a uh, salt shaker, out of the container that it's in, I hear noises coming from the back. Don't turn around. Keep looking straight ahead. When you pour that salt out on your plate of food, do you stick it over in a corner just to sit there all by itself? I mean, I'm assuming for all my salt fans in the room, you're sprinkling it all throughout the food. And then you might even take your fork and mix it up and mash it. But yet somehow in the church, we think that we're adding flavor to the world by staying confined to our, our little corners of the plate. We don't even start working until we get sprinkled into the world. We're not even doing our job until we get out there. This is great and fun and games and training and worshiping and singing songs and doing all that we do. But we're not even being made useful until we're sprinkled throughout the world and mixed in to the world. And this is not something that we're supposed to be locking ourselves into the confines of our religious establishments. Come on. I cannot provide flavor if I'm not even touching and influencing and engaging with the very world I was called. You are an agent of change. Transformation is as simple as contact with you because the kingdom of God is within you. In another reference, he says that we're the light of the world. Salt, light, leaven, you understand that their usefulness and effectiveness is limited when it is restrained and confined. The only way they are made effective is when they are released and let out. When they touch and engage that which they were. Light has to touch darkness to change it. Salt has to touch the food to change it. The leaven isn't just leaven sitting over here and dough sitting here, but the leaven has to be intermixed. And, and, and this is what he says. This is really cool. He says, once it's been done, it can't be reversed. You ever try to pick salt out of your food? Won't work. 
You ever try to get leaven out of the dough? Won't work. You're going to have to start all over. And he's saying that that's the power of the church, that once we infiltrate, they won't be able to get us out. The, the, the gates of hell cannot prevail. Darkness has never, will never overshadow light. It can't ever be so dark that you can't have light. You ever notice that? Darkness has one level. Lightness has, light has many levels. And you can't ever become so dark that it overshadows. You can't reverse it. You can only shut it out. Restrict it. Confine it. No, but he's releasing the church in these last days. To flavor and preserve. To be the leaven and to be the light of the world today. Y'all with me? I want to read you a quote real quick. This is out of a book called The Ecclesia, actually. It's the title of the book, The Ecclesia. He says this, Jesus' church was never meant to resemble a prisoner of war camp waiting to be liberated. On the contrary, God has a hope and a future for each one of its members. His plans are for good and not for evil. Furthermore, the Bible states with no ambiguity whatsoever that the saints, the church, will overcome the devil and his demons here on earth. Not to believe this means not to preach it, and not to preach it means to resign ourselves to mere subsistence. This would not only be tragic, but would constitute a dereliction of spiritual duty. You and I have a right and responsibility to infiltrate the earth as we know it, to infiltrate spheres of influence, to infiltrate everywhere you go. See, the great thing about church is not that, that I'm preaching a great message. It's that you are becoming a great message, and you get to reach people I will never get to reach. You'll get to reach students and coworkers and employers and employees and customers and vendors and, and, and people you work out with and other parents that you send your kids to, to soccer uh, camp with and whatever else you do. You get to infiltrate places I'll never personally get to go because God is a multiplier. He's not just adding, he's multiplying our efforts. And this morning, I'm speaking in front of however many people are in this room and then listening on a podcast and, and, and whatever extent that this message goes, whatever extent this word goes, but then from there, it's expe exponentially being increased. But you have to see yourself as an agent of change. This is the last day you get to go to work and complain about the situations at work the coworkers you have, the students you teach, the boss that you have, the customers that come into your store. You don't get to complain about it anymore because you are an agent of change. You are the very reason why you were, they, they are the very reason why you were sent. Amen. Number three. We said Jesus' church is authorized. Jesus' church is alive. That means it's life-giving, life-changing. Number three, Jesus' church is advancing. Jesus' church is advancing. I know, you know, if you look at the statistics, and you know, there's people much smarter and better than me at those kind of things that 
They can tell you how many people have left the church, how many churches are being closed, how many pastors are leaving the ministry, how many pastors are falling or failing in ministry, immorally, doctrinally, financially, uh, you know, all these different things. I, I, it, you, you, it, it's all about what side of the coin you look at. But I want you to know something, that the church is never in a state of losing. The church is always perpetually in a state of increase. In Isaiah chapter 9, I'm going to read this in the message. Verse 6 says, for a child has been born for us. The gift of a son for us. He'll take over the running of the world. His names will be amazing counselor, strong God, eternal father, prince of wholeness. His ruling authority will grow, and there will be no limits to the wholeness he brings. He'll put that kingdom on a firm footing, or he'll, he'll rule from the historic David throne over that promised kingdom. He'll put that kingdom on a firm footing and keep it going with fair dealing and right living, beginning now and lasting always, the zeal of God of the angel armies will do all of this. We know that this is a word about Jesus, but what Jesus came to do was to reintroduce and restore the kingdom of God back on the earth. And you and I are active participants of seeing that kingdom restored. Therefore, if the kingdom is going to advance, the church must advance. You need to understand that the church is always in a mode of increase. The church is always, and even though by natural statistics and parameters, it might look like a decline. In the kingdom, a lot of times a decline is really increase. That really what God is doing and what we're seeing happen today is a complete setting of the stage for our best days yet as the church. Well, Pastor Mark, that's crazy. We're seeing immorality like crazy. How, how is the church going to continue? People don't even want to go to church anymore. They're not even, uh, uh, you know, tolerating the message of the kingdom. It's been so watered down. It's been so broken. It's been so compromised. And, and, and you know, our young people, they don't even care about going to church. The, the statistics show it. I want to remind you that one day Jesus hung on a cross, couldn't even tell that he was a man. But that moment that looked like utter defeat was abs actually absolute victory. I'm here to tell you today that the days may be getting darker, but the church is getting that much brighter. And you need to have a resurrection mentality that what God is doing is just getting all the junk out of the way so we can get back to the core of who we really are and why we really exist and what we were really called to do. On the back end of that, Jesus walked this earth. Guys, you can come. Worship team, you can come. For a few more days after he rose from the grave, Revealed himself. Says to around 500 people. And then he's witnessed going into the clouds. By his disciples. And the angel said, why do you stand here gazing? Just as he left, he'll re he will return. 
But Jesus told them something. He said, go and tarry and wait for the promise of the Father. When he comes upon you, you will receive power to be my witnesses. In that day, in that time, in that geographic location, was every reason why the church should not have increased. In Jerusalem, we're just around 50 days earlier, they crucified Jesus. Disciples scattered all over the place. Persecution on the rise. If anyone even dares to speak in the name, we'll take your head off. We'll beat you within an inch of your life. We'll throw you in jail. We'll take away your family members. It was a day of absolute and utter rejection and persecution of the gospel. If you're looking for an environment to be just right for God to do his most powerful work, that's not it. But yet in the midst of the greatest tragedy, in the midst of the greatest tribulation, in the midst of the most challenging uh, persecution the church has ever faced, it grew. In Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it says this, All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over all of them, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. All the while, praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. You know, the enemy of great isn't bad. It's good. And I think especially in our country, we have settled for a good expectation. But I know people, you know people, it takes the smallest of disruptions to keep them from coming to church. Rain. Children that maybe woke up on the wrong side of the bed. Hungry. Tired. Long week. Big week coming up. Big week behind. But yet these individuals, in the midst of the greatest persecution the church, the church has ever known, made an effort and intention to be the church. To continue to fulfill that role and to continue to fulfill that assignment. What am I saying? I'm saying that there will never be an, an environment that is just right for the church to increase. 
but the church will grow. The church will advance. The church will develop. The church will do. The church will become. The church will continue to infiltrate, get stronger in what we are supposed to be doing, not weaker, and find Jesus coming through the clouds, picking us up off the ground. You tired little dogs, let me bring you on to heaven. But no, powerful, victorious, triumphant, overcoming, conquering. That's the church he's coming back for. In the midst of this scenario that I just read to you, this is what we see. That the church grew at an incredible rate despite having many of the resources we have available today. I'll just name a few of them. The church grew without seminaries and theological centers. The church grew without the New Testament. Imagine growing and planning a church today with only the Old Testament and an eyewitness account of Jesus himself. You can't refer to 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. I mean, at this time, Paul is still murdering Christians. He hasn't even written the books that, that we reside on, that we rely on to build our churches upon now. With the Old Testament, it was so rare that most of them didn't even have access to the Old Testament. You and I have more accessibility to the Word of God than anybody on the face of this planet ever has. And yet they still grew their churches. We have translations and interpretations of the Bible. We have different ways of bringing alive the Word of God. They didn't have that. They had the original Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic. They did it without radio and TV broadcasts. They did it at, without podcasts and YouTube and iTunes. Come on, I'm getting real right now. Don't tell me we're in our darkest days. Don't tell me we're in the worst days the church has ever seen. Don't tell me we're on a decline. We're getting stronger. We've got more available to us, and yet we're going to... Paul's not going to look at you and say, you, you poor little soul. It rained. COVID hit. They told you you had to close your doors. It ain't going to work. He said, let me tell you what I went through. I was shipwrecked. I was beaten, left for dead. I was killed, came back to life. People abandoned me. My best friends abandoned me. I mean, we're, we're not going to, we are without excuse in 2022 for why the kingdom isn't advancing through us. It expanded geographically. It developed disciples diligently. It planted churches persistently. It produced signs and wonders regularly. It spoke and ministered the word boldly, and it transformed communities aggressively. This is the church of my God. This is his church. This is the church Jesus is building. And he said, I will build my church. And he has not given up. He's still doing what he said he would do in Matthew chapter 16. It's not getting darker. It's just waiting for us to get brighter, to fulfill our assignment, to walk in what he's called us to do, to become the people of God and not just be consumed with religious activity, but to believe in our heart, confess with our mouth and stand boldly. For the mission of the kingdom of God in these last days. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week 
as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website at anchorfaithbaldosta.com. There you'll find our locations and service times, ministries that are available for you and your family. You can even give financially in support of the ministry. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Anchor Faith Church podcast.